Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. Um, Last week, we had Stuart Hall here, and he spoke to us about the need for um, Christians to be in the lives of other Christians. In other words, what he said correctly, and and we we agreed, is that um, your spiritual growth matters to me, my spiritual growth matters to you. And so we looked at that last week. What I want to briefly do is I want to read the text that he looked at last week and then start building upon where we're going to go this week. But it's Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13 through 14. And, and, and let's just read this. This is what the Word of God says. Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you any of you, an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And I think we heard that, and we all said, Amen. That we're to be, as Christians, in each other's lives. We're to be exhorting each other every single day so that our hearts will not become Pardon, and we agree with that, and we say amen to that, and we love that. But here's the deal, and here's what I want to look at tonight specifically. You cannot do that. You cannot do that unless you're in the lives of other Christians. In other words, you've got to be involved in church. In other words, you've got to be in a Christian community. You've got to be in a small group, and if you are not... How are you going to do this? How are you going to be exhorting one another daily if indeed you don't even see each other but once or twice a month? Here's what I know. And I've said this many times, and if you've been at Silverdale Saturday nights for any length of time at all, you're going to remember me kind of hitting this quite a a lot, but I know this to be true. The people you do life with, the people you hang out around with, What I like to call your crew, your crew matters. It matters who you hang out with. It matters who you do life with. Why? Because you will become, if you are not already, like the people that you're doing life with. Your crew matters, man. It's no small thing not to be involved in Christian community if you are a Christian. Because if you're not involved in Christian community, it means you're involved in some other community who has other affections other than King Jesus, and you will begin to, if you have not already, drift towards them. Um, I've got a lot of examples, and I've and I thought of a lot of examples in my, in, in my life, and uh, I wanted to share one with you. Um, and so um, I thought, let me, I want to share you this true story about how who you roll with will impact your life, all right? This is a story from Africa. If you guys are visiting, um, I was in Africa with my wife for nine years. And so let me just share this absolutely true story that you may find unbelievable, but it's true nonetheless. So in Tanzania, there is a region called Bacoba. 
All right, Bacoba is a beautiful area. It's on Lake Victoria, beautiful people, beautiful area. Bacoba has um, certain crops and stuff, like an abundance of certain things. One thing they have an abundance of is coffee. I love coffee. Coffee is good. I believe coffee is a common grace given to us by the good Lord to enjoy. All right? And that's what, amen, exactly. But Bacoba has something else in abundance at a certain time of year. All right? They have, well, grasshoppers. There's a certain time of the year when um, grasshoppers just invade Bacoba. Okay, you got that going on. Now, there's a tribe in Bacoba called the Haya. Haya are lovely people. Love the Haya. Got some Haya friend? Haya, good people. But the Haya, at a certain time of year, when there's an abundance of grasshoppers, they like to eat grasshoppers. All right, and that's what they do. It's normal. They enjoy it, okay? Now, nobody in this room would raise your hand and say, eating grasshoppers, Sanene, I believe, Few of you speak Swahili, so that's the word we're going to go with. But um, none of you would say, I like to eat me grasshoppers. I love to eat grasshoppers. But I've got to tell you something. True story. More or less, as far as you know. If you go to Bacoba and you hang out with Haya, and you roll with Haya, and Hayas are your buddies, and that is it. The Wahaya, that's your people. I guarantee you this, come grasshopper season, you're going to be eating you some grasshoppers. You will. And you're going to be, that's absolutely normal. But it's not normal. I mean, it's not a bad thing to do if that's your thing. It's, it's cool. It's whatever. But once again, your perception, the people you're rolling with, you will be sitting there. You'll be having grasshopper legs coming out your teeth, and you'll be smiling and stuff, and you'll be thinking that's normal. Why? Because the crew you roll with thought it was normal. Now, that's kind of a silly example, but it's true nonetheless I got some phone numbers. I can have you call some people. Sit there. I eating grasshoppers. Why are you eating grasshopper, man? Because all my friends eating grasshoppers. But that happens here to us in countless different ways. We find ourselves rolling with, hanging out with, doing life with people other than the people of God, and we just, we see that we start doing things, seeing things differently. And this is true. Godly men roll with godly men. Godly women roll with godly women. Fact, clowns roll with clowns. I've seen it a thousand times. Deep calls to deep. Shallow calls to shallow. So we need to be careful. Who are you spending time with? Who are you rolling with? If we've been challenged last week that we are to be exhorting one another daily, who are you rolling with? If you roll with people who don't read their Bible very often, I would imagine you probably don't read your Bible very often. If you're rolling with people, if you're rolling with people who um, don't come to church that often, you probably are not coming to church that often. I've done this in my life before. There's been times in my life when I thought there's certain aspects that I would like to grow in, maybe reading the Bible. And so I set about finding people who read the Bible, and I hung out with them. I wanted to be more generous. I found generous people, and I spent time with them. And guess what? I became a more generous individual. So tonight, that's what I want us to look at. I want us to look at this whole necessity laid upon us to be in Christian community. i got two main goals for tonight. I've written them down here for myself. One is I want you to see that it's critical to be in church. Like, this isn't like an add-on to Christianity. This isn't 
something that if you have time for, this is a necessity. This is something that God has designed in such a way that the body comes together and you've been getting gifts and abilities. And when we come together, God moves in a way that he moves unlike any other place. And it is a necessity laid upon us too. I want to convince you, if you're not already convinced of this, that it is a necessity for Christians to be in Christian community. Now that can be a small group, and we're going to talk about small groups tonight. I think here at Silverdale, man, we have... We got a lot of small groups, and we're going to give you an opportunity even at the end of this service. We'll talk about it somehow. You can get in a small group if you're not in a small group, but it's important to be in a small group. We are to be committed to community. All right. So you may say, what does Christian community look like? Tonight, we are going to be in Romans chapter 12, verse 9. So if you can, at this time, I'd like to invite all of you to open your Bibles to the Romans chapter 12, and we're going to start in verse 9. We're going to go through verse 13. And in this verse, the Apostle Paul is going to give us eight character qualities of Christian community. The, the, the qualities, the stamps, the, the, the identification of a Christian community. There's eight of them. There's actually a little bit more, but I've narrowed it down to eight. I thought an eight-point sermon was enough I know Alan probably wants more, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I stuck to eight, and, um, and so we're going to look at these, these, eight, these eight character qualities of a Christian community, and I'm going to say this on the front end. These eight things that we're going to go over tonight, you cannot be practicing them. You cannot be doing these things if you are not in some sort of Christian community. If you're not in a small group, if you're not attending church, if you're not hanging out among the believers, if you are not doing that, then you cannot. It is an impossibility to do these eight things. So let me read it. Let me read Romans chapter 12, 9 through 13, then we're going to unpack it. Verse 9, to the church. Let love be genuine. Arbor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Let's unpack this. First thing you see here in a Christian community, we are sincere. We are sincere. This is the first part of verse 9. He says this. This is to us. This is to the church. This is to believers. Let love be genuine. This means that our church and our small groups are to love one another in a real, authentic way. Not superficial not just in word, but in deed. It is actual, real, real, genuine, and tangible. And that's supposed to be coming in the church to one another. Christians, we are to be practicing this. Now, <laughs> I know we would sit there and we'd say, I get this, I understand this, I'm not for sure I always experience this. And I'm sorry if you don't. And my prayer is that we would. I, I, this is, this is, I'm going to share this story with you. And this story I'm going to tell you, every one of you are going to say, yep, been there, done that. Okay, I get it. 
all right? But this is true. About um, six months ago, and I was at church, and I won't say which service, not this one, okay? But, <laughs> and so, so, I think I was about to preach, I don't know, but someone grabbed me and pulled me aside, and they wanted to talk to me about something, and, and I'm, that's good, that's great. And so they start talking to me. But as they're talking to me, they just begin listing a list of really negative things. They're all negative. Nothing was constructive at all. And then they took it a step farther, and they started saying negative things about me. And once again, I'm just listening. I'm just listening. I'm okay, okay, okay. Then, as I'm looking at them, and they're saying these things in the church to me, it appeared to me that they were taking great delight in what they were saying. I could say, you ever been there? And all of you would say, yes, I have. I, I get that. But then this person said a strange thing to me. I kid you not. When they finished their list of negative things about the church and myself, they looked at me, and they smiled, and they said, I'm not kidding, guys. They said, I love you. And I didn't say anything, but as I was walking away, I thought, that didn't feel like love. Right? Like, I felt love before, and then that did not feel like love. It didn't feel like love. In fact, I think it was something opposite of love. Now, I realize we experience, maybe you've experienced that in church, but I think for the most part, a lot of that happens in the world. We experience that stuff. People are going to say bad things about you. People are going to be negative to you. They're going to say whatever they, they want, and then they will say or pretend to be or verbally say, I love you, as though because they've said, I love you, that it's negated the evil they've spoken to you, and you're supposed to accept it, and that's not true. But Paul is saying that is not the mark of the Christian community. Let that not be you and I. Let us not operate like that. Let us not do that. When we walk into those doors or you walk into your small group, our goal, our desire, our aim is for our love for one another to be genuine, not to be pretend, not to say evil, ugly things, manipulate situations, and then say, oh, by the way, I care about you. Oh, by the way, I love you. And then act surprised because the person that you've just insulted is offended. But I said, I loved you. Huh. Didn't feel like love. Didn't feel like love. Paul says, in the church, in our small groups, we are marked by this sincere love. And I'll say this as well. Um, I'll say this as well. This is something I believe that in the South, we've got to be exceedingly careful because we have this kind of superficial nicety. We do. We do. And we need to be careful. I mean, for crying out loud, listen, when someone in the South says, hey, Drop by my house anytime. They don't mean it. You guys know that. Seriously, today, does anyone drop by anyone's house without giving a text message first? If so, man, come on. Just admit, dude, when someone knocks on my door at my house, you know what we do? We duck. <laughs> right? And you're laughing because you do the same thing. You're like, who is that? Did someone text us? Who is it? We got to be careful. Let me show you a few verses. I want to kind of build on this because this is really a fundamental point. 1 Peter 1.22 says this. This is for us. 
feel the weight of this church, having purified your soul by your obedience to the truth for a sincere, check it out, brotherly love, love, this is a command, this is emphatic, um, an imperative, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. First Peter 4, 8, above all, this is above everything, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. And if John says, we know that we have passed out of death into life because what? We love the brothers. That's the Christian community. Whoever does not love, whoever does not love abides in death. In other words, if you show no evidence of love for your brothers and sisters, the sincere love, you have no claim on Christ or eternal life. When a Christian comes to me and they say, you know, I'm not in a small group, not in Christian community, and I attend church very seldom, I say, how do you practice this? How are you practicing this? How are you doing this? And some will come back to me and they'll say this. They'll say, but Pastor Travis, I'm practicing this sincere love with my friends. My response is, so what? So what? That's not a big deal. Non-Christians do that, Right? It is not hard to love people who look like you, act like you, love the same things you love. That's not hard at all. But that's not what we're called to do. We're called to love the body of Christ, people different than us. There are people in this church and in this room that the only thing that you have in common with them is that they too love Jesus. And God says, Paul says, that we are to have sincere love for that person. Those people who are a family in Christ. And some people will say, I don't know. I once had this great affection and desire to love the people of the church, I had this great affection to attend church, but I don't anymore, right? I don't anymore. And I don't know why. It's not like I did anything, and my response always is, that's the problem. You didn't do anything. Didn't do anything, man. Didn't do anything. First stamp First characteristic is sincere love. Let me ask you, church, are you practicing sincere love? When you walk in here, when you're in a small group, is it your goal to practice this sincere love? Two, we practice discernment. Here's what he, this is what Paul says. Arbor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Now, when I read this and I studied this, I think, well, that's, it's a little odd, this command, because Paul just said, I want you guys loving one another sincerely, but then he says to arbor, now that means to hate, it means to loathe, it means to detest with great ferociousness. I'm like, well, that's weird, dude. You just say love, and now you just say hate, but it makes sense when you see the object of that hate. We are to hate together collectively what is evil. That's a call for discernment. That's a call for you and I to know what is good, to know what is evil, to love what is good, to practice love, but then to hate what is evil. Now, the world will say, ah, oh, you know it. The world will say, man, true love accepts everything and hates nothing. I have had people tell me, and I understand what they're saying, and I'm not looking to, to, for confrontation or anything like that, but they'll say, they'll say, it's unchristian to hate anything. 
Well, that's interesting because Paul just told us clearly we're supposed to hate certain things. We're to hate evil. Evil is the enemy of God. God hates evil. His people should hate evil too. Psalms 97, check this out. It says this, verse 10. O you who love the Lord, here's a command, hate evil. If we love our brothers and our sisters, we we will hate evil. Last week, if you were here, Stuart began the whole message by asking us to close our eyes. And by the way, I always get suspicious when someone says, close your eyes. But it was okay. He said, think about, if you remember, he said, think about the greatest regret you ever had. And we all thought about different things. And um, one of the things that I am certain of, that most of the greatest regrets that we ever had began, began by this very thing. We called evil good, and we called good evil, and then we did what our flesh desired to do. We had a bunch of knucklehead turkeys around us clapping their hands while we did it. It led to, well, most, for most of us, sin. It, land, it, it led to broken relationships and deep regret. But Paul is saying here that one of the marks of a Christian community is that we hate evil. We hate evil. That's not saying we're mean. It's not saying that we are, are uh, divisive or anything like that necessarily. But we need to understand that there is evil. And if you're going to love correctly and purely, there is a flip side. And then he says, not only to hate evil, he says, hold fast to what is good. That means that we are to be holding on to the things that we know are true. Hold fast. Don't let go of. Grip with all your might that thing you know to be the most secure. And that's Jesus. And he says it clearly, no matter what others say, no matter what you're crew who may not love Jesus say, and by the way, this is interesting to me. It's interesting to me in my life, I have seen this countless times. I have young Christian men will tell me I hang out with a bunch of non-Christians because I want to influence them for Christ. And I understand that to a degree. But what most often happens, what I see is that the group of non-Christian friends influences that man more than he influences them, especially if he's not still connected to some Christian roots. Hey, listen, I'm not going to church. I'm not in small group. I'm going to be in my, with my non-Christian friends trying to influence them. That guy will come back to me six weeks later, and he will be so messed up doing things that he's never done before. Once again, your crew matters Far too often, we allow the world to influence us more than we're influencing the world. But Paul says this, hold fast to that which you know to be good and true and right and lovely. Three, we show affection. Love one another with brotherly affection. Two things I want you to notice here. First, I want you to notice this word, one another, You can underline it. You can circle it. It doesn't matter. Over 50 times, we are given one another commands. This means things that Christians are to be doing to one another. These are things that cannot be done if you're not hanging out with Christians at all. You cannot show brotherly affection in a meaningful way if you're not around Christians. You've got to be in a church. You've got to be in a small group. You've got to be in Christian community. You've got to eat together. And it's helpful to eat tacos, okay? I'm just saying it's a common grace. Enjoy it, man. All right? Second, 
Notice this word, brotherly affection. It's a really interesting word. Now, you've all heard this word. It's Philadelphia. It's a compound word. It means love, phileo, which is brotherly love. It's affection for the family. Now, the odd thing about this word is it was originally, really at this time, but really before this time and this time, only given to family members. Like, like nobody was ever told or commended or, or encouraged to have brotherly love for anyone outside of their family. So this is a revolutionary way to use this word. But now Paul takes this word that's used for a family, and he applies it to the church, that we are to have this tender, warm, loving, brotherly affection, sincere love, brotherly affection for one another. We're a family. We're a family, guys. And God is the Father. Now, your question may be, and my question was this, and, and I kind of thought on it and, thought, and studied it. What is the difference between brotherly affection and other types of affection? Because I want to know, if I have to have brotherly affection, there's two main things. Brotherly affection carries with it an obligation and a priority. And that's what he's saying here. Oh, you, can, I, you may be uncomfortable. I, always, I sometimes get uncomfortable when I'm sitting down and the pastor says, look at the people around you. So I won't, I won't ask you to do that. But uh, if you were to look at the people around you, what you would need to understand and see is, well, we're family. If you're a believer in Christ, we're family. And we have an obligation to one another and we have a priority to one another. We do. And I get it. You don't have to look too hard to find some, some people in this room that's hard to love. You don't. You don't have to find some people here that might get on your nerves. It's not that difficult to do. It's not. But once again, isn't that not unlike your real family? So who goes, do any of you guys go to family reunions? Do you? Some of you? They're not as popular. I don't know if they used to be. But I guarantee you this. If you go to any family reunion, you're going to find some people that are hard to love and they're a little nutty, right? Now, some, <laughs> no, some people, hey, some people will say this. Look, Pastor Travis, there's no nuts in my family. Here's what that means. It means you're the nut, all right? <laughs> That's what that means. But don't worry. We love you, and I hope your family does too. But yes, yes, there's people here who will get on your nerves. I've, had, I've talked about this before. I've had someone come to me lovely people, I love them, they'll say, hey, there's, it's hard for me on Silverdale Saturday nights to love this person or that person. They're just so hard to love. They get on my nerves. I'm like, good, good. Maybe God put them here to get on your nerves because you annoy a lot of people also. I mean, seriously. And like it's the height of offense that your nerves are stepped on. I've said this before, guys. If, there's, if there is no one in this room right now that does not get on your nerves, it means you don't attend enough. Flat out. It's true. So, I say, if no one here gets on your nerves, well, you need to start volunteering to do something. It's only a matter of time. And embrace it and love it. The same true in, in your small group. Four, I'm going to move a little bit faster here. We give honor. That's a, that's a good word, man. 
He says this, the rest of verse 10, outdo one another in showing honor. Guys, when you walk in these doors or there, or you walk in your small group, is that in the forefront of your mind? That the men and women that I see tonight, I'm going to honor them. I want to challenge you every week, do that. Come in here, look around, look at the people sitting and say, I want to honor them. I want to put them first. I want to honor them. I want to bless them, encourage them. Treat them as though they have more worth than me. Let me ask you, do you honor the church? Do you honor Christians? When you walked in here tonight, was it in your mind, I am going to show honor to everyone I come across to because this is my family. I've got a real love for them. I've got a brotherly affection for them, and I am going to choose to show them honor tonight. 5, verse 11, we have enthusiasm. Verse 11, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in prayer, serve the Lord. Three things real quick. He says, do not be slothful in zeal. That's a negative command. Don't do this, but be fervent in spirit. That's a positive command. Serve the Lord. The implication here is this. There will be a tendency for every one of us to drift towards slothfulness. We will. We will drift towards slothfulness in the spirit, and we will drift from being fervent in the spirit, and we will drift from a desire to serve the Lord. Paul says, do not do that. Don't do it. Fight it. Fight it. Once again, I don't think it's uncommon for people to say, man, there was a time I've had people call me, I've had people talk to me, have me on my office. They'll say, man, there was a, I would wake up on Saturday and I'm looking forward to the Saturday night service. But for some reason, because they're not doing anything, but for some reason, I now wake up and I don't look forward to it. In fact, when it gets about 3 o'clock, I start dreading it. In fact, when it gets about 3 o'clock, I start thinking of reasons not to attend. Paul says, do not do this. I will ask you, do you have enthusiasm? That's a mark. That's a mark of a Christian community. And by the way, I will say this. When you're in Christian community, when you're in a small group, when you're in a service, when you're part of a congregation, that enthusiasm will infect you. Will, man. Dude, Alan just said amen. Dude, I can tell you this. I've, man, Alan, Alan's a mechanic. And I got one old car. It's 1973, and it breaks down like every other time I use it. So I have taken my car to Alan's on a Saturday morning, and I'm just humming around. I get there. That dude's jacked, dude. He is so excited about coming to church Saturday night. And you know what that does to me? I get excited about it. I mean, I was kind of, I was already excited about it, but he talks about, he'll talk about who he's going to see, and he talks about all this stuff, and I'm like, yes, 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 just because I'm spending time with another brother. That enthusiasm grows. And then he breaks out some duct tape and starts duct taping stuff in my car. I'm joking. That's old, dude. Six, we practice patience. These are three commands. I've kind of put them together. It's, he says, verse 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Let me work this flow out for you, church, and we've got to do this together. He says, first, we rejoice in hope. That's not some kind of vague hope. That is a hope in the promises of God 
that they will indeed come past. They are bedrock. We hope in future glory. We hope in, 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 in the future grace that will be given to us. Okay, so we're rejoicing now in the hope ahead. But while we're rejoicing for the hope ahead, we're led to the realization that we're currently in this life where there is tribulation. So while there is tribulation, he says we're to be patient in it. And who should we be patient with tribulation? With the church, other believers. And, and so while we're hoping in future, being patient in the tribulation, we are to be constantly in prayer. That's the flow. You don't do that all by yourself. I love it. I love, man. man, you know, if you're not in Christian community, if you're not attending the church, if you're not among the saints, if you're not sitting there doing these things, this rejoicing in hope will fade. And I've been there, and I think many of you may have been too. And this patience and tribulation. And for, man, that's, I, don't know, I was thinking about this. Guys, guys come up to me, and they used to have a strong walk. And they're struggling now. They're not hanging out with Christians at all. And they come to me and tell me about some of the things going on, and I can ask them this. Who's praying for you? Nobody, because no one they're hanging out loves Jesus. They're not. No one. You've got to be in prayer. You've got to be together. You've got to be walking together. Number seven, we give generously. Contribute to the needs of the saints. We as a people are to be marked as generous people with our time, our talents, our gifts, and our resources. The world will tell you that we rightfully own things. And I will say this, Jesus owns everything. I mean, none of us going to stand before King Jesus and say, hey, that's mine. Like, we're not going to claim any ownership. It's all his. He's entrusted it to us for his glory and our joy. And we have a responsibility to be stewards with our resources, to be stewards with our our, our talents and our gifts and our abilities, those abilities you have. Man, enjoy them. Enjoy them. But let me tell you something. That IQ that God's given you, that understanding of mathematics or that understanding of all sorts of other things, business-oriented, was not given to you primarily so you could climb up the corporate ladder and build your kingdom. Sure, you have them, but they were given to you to be in the church, sharing with the saints, growing the kingdom. There are nations, there are people groups this moment that we are speaking who have never heard the name of Jesus. Jesus gave you gifts. Jesus gave you time and talents and resources. He saved you, and then he says, I want to use you and your generation. For those who do not know me will come to know me because I want you to be working and submitting to me. Galatians 6.10, Paul says it this way. Do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Guys, we want to be generous. Final thing, number eight. Characteristic eight. We exercise hospitality. This one's interesting. All the other ones are what we do one to another. We love one another. We honor one another. We contribute to the needs of one another. This one is the only one that we are specifically, you exercise to non-Christians. To Christians and non-Christians. In the Greek, hospitality, show hospitality is constructed in a way to literally mean pursuing the love of strangers. 
So we're not just to, because um, I get it, people will tell me, they'll say, man, I'm real hospitable. I'm like, okay, okay, tell me about that. Well, if someone asks to use something or use my house, I'd let them. Cool, that is being hosp- hospitable. But that is not seeking to be hospitable. Seeking to be hospitable means we are going out of our way, seeking ways that we can be hospitable to other people, not just waiting for them to come to us. Hebrews 13, 2 says something crazy, man. I love this one. This will motivate you. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. So evidently some dude out there practicing hospitality to some stranger, and there was an angel, and he didn't know it. That's pretty crazy cool. Not saying it'll happen to you and I, but I am saying that we are to be marked by this. I would say this as well, and this is, this is um, just to throw it out there so you'll know, um, pastors are commanded to be hospitable. You are disqualified to be a pastor or an elder if you're not hospitable. Titus 1.8 says that. Elders are to be hospitable. Just a little extra to throw out there. It, it gets me. Are you seeking to be hospitable? All right. So last week we, we said, and we're going to wrap this up. Last week we said, last week we said that we are to be exhorting one another daily. And that means you've got to be in church, and you've got to be in small groups, or you've got to be in Christian community. I don't know what that looks like for you, but I guarantee you, you pray God will provide. He will show you. And then we saw eight characteristics. Eight characteristics of Christian community, and you cannot, you cannot do those eight things if you're not in Christian community. Let me say it inversely. If you're not doing these eight things, then you are being disobedient to the Word of God. And you can't do these eight things unless you're in Christian community and attending church. Seems pretty clear. Ain't none of us making it without one another. We're not. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a sermon series called The Seven Commands of Christ. Jesus gave dozens of commands, and as followers of Jesus, we should obey all of them. Over the next several weeks, we are focusing on seven that will change your life. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses, or you can attend online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. You know, there's so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing here at Silverdale, and we really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please, stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on the different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.